Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop. I am your host, Logan Grutchfield, uh, and I am joined tonight by Jake Mossing, who writes with me at the FSVU in Florida Flambeau and uh, is also involved with V89 uh, Sports Radio here at FSU. And Jake, before we get going, I understand you had just a crazy weekend last weekend, just a lot of sports. You know, I don't... For a sports fan, this seems like a dream right here. Uh, can you mind telling me a little bit more about it? Definitely. And I just want to thank you for having me on this week, Logan. Uh, I'm excited to talk with you about all FSU sports. But like you said, I've had an extremely busy past weekend, but I was very grateful for it and had a great time. Starting on Thursday morning, I flew out to Atlanta from Tallahassee, about a one-hour flight. It was really easy. Got picked up and went to – the Braves watch party because they're playing in Houston due to COVID. They're playing uh-huh. against the Dodgers. So fortunately, uh, the Braves staff actually let fans in the game. So you could purchase a ticket for just $10 and basically sit wherever you wanted to. In, in SunTrust Field? In SunTrust Park, yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So we were very close to the field and all the Braves staff was there and they sold out social distance wise, which was probably about 25% of the stadium like everywhere else, both nights. So I did that Thursday night and Friday night, and the Braves won on Thursday, which was cool, lost on Friday. I'll I'll take the split. The Dodgers are a good team. It was unfortunate what happened on Saturday and Sunday to the Braves, but wasn't there for that. So Yeah, at least you're there for the fun part. Right, and then moving on to Saturday, I flew back to Tallahassee in the morning and went to the FSU-UNC game at night, and then Sunday morning got up bright and early and drove to Jacksonville with a buddy to watch the Jags and Lions play. And drove home that oh night. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! You're a busy man. That's <laughs> that is insane. And so I, I now that we get into it here, I want to. Would it be wrong of me to say that the best football performance of all of those teams? Because I know the Jags game was kind of a, a dumpster fire for Jacksonville. Um, was FSU one of the strongest teams out of all of those? I would say that's correct. Out of the, the games that I watched this past weekend, FSU looked amazing. It was the Jags and Lions were uh, were not too great. I think there was more Lions fans there than Jags fans, which is sad considering Detroit is where the Lions play at. That's true. I mean, they don't. Neither one of them's had a lot to cheer for recently. I guess that's a good thing is you can't. You know, if the fans start leaving because the teams suck, you can't tell. So, you <laughs> exactly. know, it's not too bad for that. But, yeah, I, I mean, Florida State, I – so when I did my score predictions with Austin last week, now I predicted 31 points for the Florida State offense. Wow. How and about I, that? I was right, but I predicted 41 for North Carolina. Jeez. And obviously that did not happen. I think Austin and I were, you know, sitting on – sitting on our butts here on this podcast and saying, oh, there's no way. We don't want to be too optimistic. You know, there's no way Florida State can come out and, uh, you know, put it together. You know, I think we'll see some improvement, but, you know, there's still some steps to be taken. And, of course, you know, like some other weeks, uh, we were proven completely wrong. So, I mean, final score, 31 to 28, it seemed like, you know, I remember thinking there's, okay, a lot of different units need to make a lot of different steps here. And I mean, I just don't know how they'll all be able to put it together. And it seemed like they did, or they at least put it together enough to survive. I mean, the second half was a little frightening, but um, I know you saw a lot of pretty good stuff out of the defense. 
you know, what, what were your observations there? Yeah, that's correct. I just want to touch on your score prediction first, because that was way closer than anything I've heard before, but that was a nice pickup on your 31 points. That's solid. You can add that to your well, resume. I, yeah. <laughs> I whiffed on the result too. So I, that was the important part. Right. But uh, I was talking with our editor, Thomas, actually a day or two before the game, telling him that I was going to go. And I said, I can't wait to see our defense give up 500 yards, exaggerating a little bit, but maybe not so much based on how they performed earlier this season. And the defense that I saw on Saturday was not the same defense that I've seen the rest of the season. They were unbelievable. They stopped North Carolina on three separate fourth downs, which is amazing in itself. And the game win- or the game time or game-winning drive, they stopped North Carolina on. And basically at all angles, they looked solid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just thinking for me, focusing on the defensive line, you know, that was, I mean, that's, I think, the first game I can think of in a while where they were getting just consistent pressure up front. And, I mean, that it paid dividends. It's like how, you know, what was the, what was the misconnection here? I mean, because you see it, you know, when you flush Sam Howell out of the pocket, you know, when you make him make subpar throws or when he's running for his life or force him to take a sack, you know, which he took quite a few of, um, you know, you really reap the benefits. I mean, there's a couple interceptions that they were able to do things with. I mean, Joshua Kando, of all people, getting a pick six. I don't know about you. The stadium was rocking. It was when that happened. Indeed. So I mean, that was that was great to see them finally getting that, you know, big push. Marvin Wilson, you know, for somebody who was looking great coming into the year, but I mean, I think before this game, he had kind of made a bigger splash on special teams, you know, blocking all those field goals than he had, you know, up front doing his actual job. And he looked near unblockable till the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I think that was, that was a big piece right there. And um, I know you said you saw some stuff out of the secondary. Yeah. So actually the only thing that was, was kind of off was a couple of our secondary members seemed, seemed a little wishy-washy there overall performed well but North Carolina's tight end was the one player the one receiver who was tearing us up and they would go to him every single play and he could just jump over our corners so that was the one negative impact but overall my gosh Florida State looked amazing and like you said the the reporters and critics and everyone out there can say that oh well Sam Howell and North Carolina did it to themselves but at the end of the day we were both there we both saw it we saw that the defensive line was putting great pressure on Hal, and you saw in that interception, he threw it right to Kando, and he walked in the end zone. Uh, He was flustered. Before this game, he's been great all season, and everyone was expecting big things from him. So what the defensive line did to get him flustered and off of of his game was was really amazing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at some of the stats here from North Carolina, and, I mean, they still put together a pretty good game you know, Javante Williams still rushed for 120 yards. Bo Corral has still put up 100. I think that's the tight end you're talking about. That touchdown. That is. Um, you know, he had 140 receiving yards on four receptions. It wasn't like, you know, Sam Howell's whiffing on throws, except for, okay, the last two passes of the game, I did think he was underthrowing or, you know, throwing a little bit off to the side, wasn't really, you know, in a rhythm. But that's after – you know, almost four quarters of football, everybody's tired, you know what I mean? After 36 pass attempts, um, it's bound to happen. I completely agree. 
And yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they couldn't get anything going. They clearly got enough going on offense. I mean, this was a – they put up 21 points in the second half to zero for Florida State. Right. You know, I mean, I, and that was what worried me. I feel like the narrative that I had seen a lot the last few years, you know, we go into the second half, uh, Florida State's up 31-7, to seven, and I felt like the pattern that I had seen – I, I remember seeing it a lot last year in the Boise State game, in the Louisiana Monroe game, you know, just on and on and on, where the defense just completely falls flat in the second half. And, you know, Florida State ends up somehow losing by two touchdowns in a game that they practically go in the half up by, you know, 10 or 14 points most of the time. But, you know, even though it was a 21 nothing second half, I mean, they – cranked it up when they needed to and that's what i was talking about this with austin last week it's kind of hard sometimes to diagnose this defense because i mean you even said oh i can't wait for them to just rack up uh 500 yards and they still north carolina still put up 558 yards but i mean only 28 points there they put up 100 more yards than that against uh virginia tech the week before and that was like a 50 point performance so it's not, you know, I think sometimes it's really hard to judge this Florida State defense by the numbers. You know, I mean, 500 yards allowed. They gave up a ton of yards against um, Georgia Tech, but that was only a 16-point game for Georgia Tech. You know, I think they are pretty good at, you know, making stops when it matters. There was a couple of those big uh, fourth-down stops in the red zone during the game. Um, but – yeah, no, I wanted to get kind of your feel just overall for this defense and just the progress that they've made, too, you know, because, I mean, we're talking about good games from them, and then there was also the Miami game, which was, I think, a stinker for everyone that saw it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. In in general, in college football and even NFL, usually teams with, with bad defenses can show up in the first half, and surprise teams with good offenses and that's kind of what we had here with North Carolina so far this season being a great offense and when the second half comes along usually those defenses get tired and worn out and that great offense can finally go to work so yeah I think they figure them exactly out yep the the coach makes adjustments at halftime that is definitely a big factor in the, that great offense whoever it may be tears that defense up in the second half so that was kind of the narrative that I was thinking and even in the fourth quarter with six minutes left, we were punting back to them. It was 21 to 31 Knowles. I told my friends, North Carolina is going to go down and score. They're going to give us the ball back and we're going to get shut out three and out and we're going to punt it back to them. And then I don't know what happens. And that's exactly what happened. And thankfully, thankfully for all Knoll fans, the defense came up and showed that they were going to fight all the way through it. Um, I've saw seen, a quote from Jordan Travis and he said he w- he was hurting out there you know he's he's a running quarterback and he's throwing his body yeah, on the line hand injury too against Notre yeah Dame. exactly you saw him with his hand I think limping off afterwards so he really puts his body out there and gets beat up during games and in the fourth quarter he said my guys were going out there and fighting so I wasn't going to go out the game I was going to continue to fight for them and I thought that was just an awesome thing um that he wasn't going to give up on his guys no matter how bad he was hurting I thought that was cool but extending off the defense again, I, I saw a tweet after the game that said Florida State is the most confusing team in football. 
because like we touched on earlier, this defense was unlike anything we've seen so far this season, but it's a step in the right direction. I was extremely proud of how they performed and I hope that they can do this going forward. Oh, 100%. I, I completely agree. You know, and if confusing leads to wins, I, I won't be, they can give up 800 yards a game. If they, feel like <laughs> it. If they can, you know, piece together a win. I don't have a problem with that. Now I want to focus on the offense now. And I don't, Jordan Travis, that was one of the worries that I had was, I mean, he's reliant on the run and I mean, it's good to have a mobile quarterback, but I mean, if you've got your offensive line getting swamped every single play, you know, he's going to be running for his life just to avoid, you know, losing five, six yards of a play rather than being able to cut through and, you know, get through some holes. But, I mean, still put up 107 rushing yards uh, in the game. Still got two rushing touchdowns. Um, I mean, on the, especially that first rushing touchdown, just the mobility that he had. I mean, he was cutting and weaving all over the place. Um, I was really impressed by that. And I think a big part of the success that he was able to have both as a runner and as a passer. Uh, I think as a passer, we weren't really sure what to expect. He looked good against Notre Dame. But as a deep passer, especially, I was really pleasantly surprised by his performance. Um, I think the offensive line and just them stepping up finally for the first time in what seems like a long time, that cannot be understated. We saw some top 10 catches in this game, deep balls from uh, Travis one was definitely to Ontario Wilson uh, just an amazing catch and he seemed to place it right where they needed it and hit the ball with their hands uh, that they didn't really have to do anything he hit them right in stride so that was that was pretty amazing to see and just I think this was was Norvell really really his play calling and coaching ability coming to work I think we were on our own 15 or 10 yard line backed up and I think it was third down if I remember correctly and Norvell called an R, a run pass option RPO and Travis was running the whole game and, and he was getting through him, but sometimes the North Carolina defense would figure him out. And on this play, Travis started to run and they figured him out. They had him bottlenecked up back on his own 10. And he decided at the last moment to throw a ball to our tight end, Preston Daniel, who was wide open. And that play oh, really yeah. stuck out to me. Like what a great play call. Cause everyone knew on the North Carolina defense, probably, Travis is running and he played it off perfectly. You couldn't have called a better play. Oh yeah. No, I mean, just the awareness to do that, you know, and not just, you know, all right, I'll just, you know, stick my head down and hope for the best. Um, I mean, the awareness to do that is just fantastic. So um, no, I, that play, especially I think was just maybe some of the peak individual talent that Jordan Travis has to offer. Now looking at, and the other worry that I had was with no Tamori and Terry, who kind of seemed to be the safety blanket for every quarterback. I mean, for Travis a little bit in the Notre Dame game, and um, especially for James Blackman, I mean, with the time that he had missed, and he was a complete non-factor against um, Miami, um, he still had seven more receptions. He had 50% more receptions than the next guy, uh, which was Ontario Wilson. And so I was worried that, you know, without kind of the safety net guy who's just so fast he can get away from most any DB, um, that who who's he going to be able to throw to with any degree of reliability? And thankfully, I was proven wrong on that one. He spread it around pretty well. 
um, you know, the most. And, I mean, also, he wasn't throwing the ball a ton to begin with. And, I mean, when he was, the uh, consistency wasn't amazing, but a win is a win, once again. Um, as the old Bill Belichick adages, uh, you're as good as your record says you are. <laughs> and, you know, a win for the record is a win I'm for the record. You. So, yeah, so certainly there. Um, I mean, eight for 19, I could care less, you know, but he, he spread it around pretty well. Um, so that was that was great to see the kind of just the rapper he has with. I don't know that I had seen Preston Daniel get super involved with the offense. So, I mean, just to kind of mix it around like that, I thought was pretty good. The one thing that did surprise me, was not seeing uh, Lawrence Toafili getting any rushing. Attempts. I agree. It seemed like the other two running backs on our team, Webb and Corbin, really took over. Um, they they handled it well, and and you saw Webb rush for 109 yards with an average rate of nine point yard nine point one yards per carry. So he really showed out and picked up the slack. And like you said with Terry, I saw him on the sideline before the game in crutches, and I got worried. He's our most reliable and arguably our best receiver. Um, he's, he's long and can get up there and, and has a lot of hops, I would say. And he's quick. He can beat any defender that's on him. So him not being in the game just made it even worse uh, in my mind that the beatdown that the Tar Heels were going to put down on, on the Knolls. So kind of going off that with Travis throwing to six different guys, what a confident, confidence boost for these guys. You know, our best receiver's out, and they say, I can do it. They're, they're showing out. They're saying, wow, I can pick up the slack. I'm going to do whatever I can. And hopefully they have more compatibility with Travis going forward because of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think all things considered, just the steps forward that we saw, and once again, uh, special teams that continues to kill it under Mike Norvell. Um, I mean, I think if Florida State can maintain this momentum, which is, I say, a lot easier said than done, um, that certainly bodes very, very well for this team going forward. Now, I do want to shift our focus now to looking at the upcoming game against uh, Louisville this weekend. And I think in some ways, uh, Malik Cunningham is – well, first of all, I want to talk about Malik Cunningham. Second of all, I was just thinking about what you said where, you know, if Florida State is one of the most confusing teams in college football, Louisville's got to be up there with them. But um, I think Malik Cunningham, you know, it always seems to have been like this for, uh, for, for Louisville. They had a Lamar Jackson who could just, you know, kill you either way. They had Teddy Bridgewater who could do the exact same thing. And then um, now they've got Malik Cunningham. I mean, he can run, you know, and he can, he's definitely got at least a proven track record of being a pretty good thrower. You know, it's just the only issue is their defensive game plan seems to be, all right, let's hope he can throw for five touchdowns. So, and uh, hopefully we can just figure it out enough. So, um, but I think that'll be a very fun game to watch. And this global defense, like the FSU defense, I cannot figure them out. You know, they have given up 40 plus points in two of their games. And then they shut down Notre Dame, who had just put up 40 against FSU, 12 to seven. I mean, what was that? You know, so I just want to get your thoughts about what what you think we need to see uh, going. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. I think Uh, no doubt about it. Our defense needs to show up like they did this game because Louisville, you've seen it in their first four out of five games this season. They put up over 20 points and put up around 30 points in three of those four games. 
So they can be very dominant on the offensive end with offensive end with Cunningham and explosive. They can score on you quickly and back to back to back and easily put you out of the game. So with our offense scoring zero points in the second half against North Carolina, that cannot happen. It's just not an option. That almost lost us the game against yeah. North Carolina. And if you want to do that against Louisville, I guarantee you they're not going to let you and they're going to beat you down as hard as they can. Oh, yeah, certainly. And I think, um, you know, the most critical thing, just if we're thinking about Louisville, they've got Malik Cunningham, Javian Hawkins. I didn't realize they're running back. He's second in the ACC in rushing yards. And then they've got a really just solid rangy trio of uh, receivers that I think might be a problem. So I'm thinking, you know, the group that needs to show up and make plays, I mean, we say this once again, um, is the defensive line. You know, so, I mean, with the pressure, and we saw what a successful defensive line can do against uh, North Carolina, but I think they'll have their work cut out for them because Howell, I mean, he's he can run, but I don't think the that he's a dual-threat quarterback by any means. Now, Malik Cunningham, he could just as easily, you could just as easily flood the pocket and then, oh, shoot, he's just converted a third and eight for 15 yards. And, and that kind of reminds me of Miami's so, offense as well with, with their quarterback, Derek King. He was a dual threat, and everyone everyone saw it. They oh, killed yeah. us with that. He could pass or run, and, and they also, I don't know their names, but they also had a great running back who was quick on his feet and shifty, and uh, I'd say two or three amazing wide receivers, so... I think Louisville is kind of a lesser evil of that, but they're just as scary and dominant as Miami has been. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, De'Ara King has just completely caught the, uh, it seems like the entire ACC off guard. Um, So, no, I I, I 100% agree with you. I think just, you know, you need strong line play and then behind them, you know, you need the linebackers to step up too and just kind of, stop these, you know, receivers from getting way down the field, you know, make tackles when you need to, and just kind of keep things from getting totally out of whack. You know, because I think Louisville, they're definitely not as strong as Miami, but I think if you let them get unrestrained, you could see major problems. So I completely agree. Um, yeah, and then as far as the offense goes, I mean, I think we've kind of seen a good proof of concept for in against uh, Notre Dame and against uh, uh, North Carolina last week of just, you know, how do you, how can you be, how can you beat teams? You know, cause Florida state, I mean, the score is a lot closer than I expected against Notre Dame. I did not expect them to be leading the first <laughs> quarter of all things against Notre Dame. Um, now they certainly got a lot of help from their special teams in that game, but I mean, you convert opportunities when you get them. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. And um, I think that, you know, for the offense, you know, just kind of keep the ball moving on the ground, you know, either with Travis or you almost have your entire running back committee just to kind of shake up the pace of things, you know, because I think it's 50-50 either to Travis or a back at this point. And um, I was I was pleased to see Deshaun Corbin doing a little bit better uh, in the uh, North Carolina game. Because I felt like he was kind of the number one coming out of the uh, coming out of practice, and he kind of fell down the depth chart a little bit with Tola Feely doing as well as he did. But um, I think in the North Carolina game, he got a little bit of momentum back for himself, uh, which is great. So and then so I mean I think move the ball well on the ground, 
have Travis hit passes when he needs to, which I think he's done as well as he can do in that uh, aspect of the game. You know, in I think the team so far under Norvell has done a pretty good job of not asking too much out of anybody. You know, and I think sometimes the player that we would be asking too much out of is was Cam mm-hmm. Akers last year. I mean, especially just thinking the games where the defense, you know, wasn't able to do a whole lot. The offensive line got reduced to turnstiles. You got James Blackman, you know, throwing the ball all over the place. And then you'd have Cam Akers still somehow throw up 200 yards and four touchdowns right. and keep us in the game. You know, in his absence, though, I don't know that anybody has emerged in the same role that he has. But it's also, I think, been a good thing that it's not like, oh, well, if you sideline Cam Akers or if you sideline Tamori and Terry or, you know, Jordan Travis or anybody, uh, you know, the entire team is just. I would really like to see uh, our running backs get more involved and Travis kind of out of it more because we've seen with Notre Dame and with North Carolina, he's taken a lot of hard hits from these 250, 300, 350 pound guys. And Travis can't be, he's got to be around 200 pounds, maybe even under. So you've seen him hurting. We've all seen him hurting. And, and towards the end of the game, he's not, he's not, uh, not his full potential anymore because of the hits he's taken. And, Really, he's our whole team, honestly, because without him, we've seen it with Blackman or any other quarterback in there. It's not the same team. We're not as good. And it sucks that he has to do all the running all the time, but that's our offense. But I wish Norvell would try and get our three-headed monster running back core in there a little more with Webb and Toofili and Corbin. I mean, those are three good running backs. We've seen their potential this season and that they all can do different things well. and Maybe if just rotating uh-huh. those three guys in and out and see who's doing well and see who's not and just go from there. I mean, I understand that Travis has to run a lot and I get it, but if we could find a way to limit his his runs, that would be ideal in this upcoming game against Louisville. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it's hard though. You know, I'd say that's the best, the most consistent part of his game, you know, and it's almost like he's, one of the better goal line backs, it seems like, for Florida State. So, I mean, we'll see. I don't anticipate that that will be happening. But I do see your point that I think they've got to, especially late in the game, I mean, he's a younger kid. He doesn't have a lot of starting experience. Um, I think he still kind of needs a little more durability, you know, just to not have him injured. And, you know, turning to Blackman or then turning to, I don't know, Tate Rodemacher Trevor Purdy if all hell breaks loose. Um, I, I don't want it to be another quarterback carousel because I think that is where, you know, we start to things, see things I agree. totally sideways. Hopefully he can just hand so. the ball off and run when he needs to. And hopefully our running backs will, will do enough damage where the run game opens up our pass game and Travis can start finding our wide receivers or tight ends. And um, even if we're – or well, who knows, obviously, what's going to happen, but – Hopefully that run game will open up the pass game and we score a lot of points. And maybe if we're up by 14 or 21 or 17, somewhere in that range, uh, Travis won't have to run as much as he did these last two games. Yeah, absolutely. And I think hopefully, I think the key to Louisville, they've got a big offense. Um, If we can have a big day in the first half, hold on in the second half and have our defense show up and, I mean, just – against and do what they did against Georgia Tech 
and against North Carolina. That I realize is a tall order, but if you know you can keep a possession or two between you and Malik Cunningham and this Louisville offense that can be very scary. Um, I think that'll be critical uh, for this uh, for this team to win. And I think this is a very winnable game. So I think I, I hope that we can see that in a comfortable win rather than a real nail biter or, you know, a, a loss, obviously. But um, I think if I'm going to go score predictions here, I'm going to be pretty optimistic. Um, I am going to say 34 Florida State, 24 Louisville. All right. I got 28 for Florida State, and I'm going to go with you on optimism. And I'm going to say 17 for Louisville. I think uh, we hit some great strides this week as a team, and we have a lot of confidence. Beating a top five team is unreal, and the amount of confidence that these players can take going into this upcoming match with Louisville is going to be great. So I think they're going to come off a high note and continue riding off into the sunset. All righty. That'll be pretty good. And um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking at some of the Vegas lines now. And, um, uh, you know, we're definitely more optimistic than Vegas is. Uh, Florida State's still a slight underdog. Oh, spread's only four. That's good. So, yeah. So, it was minus nine uh, in Louisville's favor. Okay. And now it's come down I like to four. It. So, I mean, I think, you know, that'll be tight. Uh, I might have to revise my, you know, Florida State beat by 10 <laughs> now that I think about that. But, uh, you know, I think I think it'll still be a great game no matter what. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. I think we saw some really great stuff um, from FSU. And one thing I do want to touch on before I know we've got some other stuff to talk about is we saw two games this year with Florida, with former, uh, with two former guys who were committed to Florida State and then changed their minds. Uh, one was Jeff Sims, and I thought he played with a lot of energy in that game. I don't know if that gave him any extra oomph or what, but, I mean, he certainly was playing his heart out there. And uh, Sam Howell had a great game, too. So, and Jordan Travis, of course, transferred from Louisville. So, I don't know. Hopefully, he'll that'll give him an extra, you know, pep in his step or something. So, uh, I just wanted to make note of that. I think that'll be pretty fun. Um, that'll be pretty fun. And hopefully, Florida State can keep the ball rolling and uh, crack out another win. I know, Jake, you and I were at that Louisville game last year. And, uh, you know, hopefully, they can find some good <laughs> luck without us there. Because that was uh, the one game I was at in the press box last year that was uh, – not a I agree with you. Yeah, so. that is an interesting point that you made with Travis because usually you see it all around in the sports world when players come back to their former team. Um, they they usually all the, all the spotlights on them and they know it and they usually channel something. I don't know where they find it inside themselves to really perform at a high level. So hopefully we do see that from Travis. That was a great point. That's true. That's true. And I'm just thinking now, you know, he's if we're thinking about Louisville, these dual threat guys, you know, he's definitely just another one out of that little factory that they've been turning <laughs> out. I don't know what they look for there. But, you know, if you had you would have thought in 2018 when he had his, his really only stint as an active starter, they had Lamar Jackson, they had Malik Cunningham and they had him. So, I mean, you kind of have, you know, 
Papa Bear, which is Lamar <laughs> Jackson. You have Mama Bear, which is Malik Cunningham. And then you got Baby Bear, which is Jordan Travis. And we got Baby Bear now. So uh, maybe not the best, you know, illusion there. But uh, we'll see how this goes. Hey, we'll roll we'll with it. I like it. Between, <laughs> yeah, between the uh, dual threat quarterbacks. So uh, what I do want to touch on a little bit before uh, we get out of here is I know you were covering uh, volleyball last week uh, when Florida State went down to Miami. They picked up their first win of the season, but, um, you know, they, they split. That is Miami. correct. Is they correct? did win one. They won the first and lost the second. But just overall, I kind of want to talk a little bit about their season with COVID, uh, as with any NCAA, NCAA sport so far, has been extremely affected. And they were narrowed down to, I think, only – seven or eight games just for the fall semester. And they moved a lot to the spring, thankfully. And the NCAA, NCAA championship for volleyball will be in the spring as well. And instead of 64 teams or 68, which it normally is, I believe there's going to only be 48 teams. So they narrowed that down. But coming back to the fall, so they were scheduled for eight games. And then unfortunately, due to COVID concerns, and I'm not sure either side, either Florida State or the opposing teams or a mixture of both, they had four of their matches canceled. So they ended up only playing four matches this season and their fall season is over as far as I know. So that's pretty unfortunate for them. Thankfully, looking forward, they have uh, the championship and more of their season in the spring. So that'll be good that they can continue, continue practicing and de- developing key- team chemistry. But just not having any preseason matches or playing non-conference opponents because they only played ACC teams so far this season that's really tough because you can't develop that chemistry in those preseason games and really figure out who your team is, what you're doing well, what you're not doing well, and how to fix it. They kind of just were thrown right into the season. So I don't think they performed as well as they expected to or wanted to, but they have a lot of season to look forward to, and um, I think they've made the best of the situation. Yeah, and I mean, it's not looking great right now either. Um, they had a few matches lined up this week at home, I think against, uh, Wake Forest and Clemson That's correct. and those yeah. have been postponed now. Cause, uh, yeah, cause they've got, uh, looks like a lot of players in contact tracing to where it's just unsustainable, uh, to expect a matchup. But, uh, you know, I, I just think, I mean, this has obviously been not at all what, um, you know, either team would have desired this season. And I just think back to, um, what, uh, uh, Coach Poole said in a lot of his uh, earlier discussions about what was coming this season. And he said he's been obviously at Florida State for a long time. And he said he's coached through hurricanes. He's coached through nat- uh, natural disasters. And that he said those were easy because you have an end date, you know. And he said with this, especially in April and May when everybody was in, you know, quarantine and it was just like, what is even happening uh, he said it was like, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? And for this team, I mean, now you've got to think that tunnel is just getting even darker and darker, you know, with you got matches canceled. I mean, it doesn't doesn't look very good as we as we stand now for where this team is going to be, if they'll be playing, period, um, yeah. in the fall. So, I, I mean, it was just – and then I, against Georgia Tech, I know that must have been – incredibly disappointing you know just dropping both of those to georgia tech 
Um, I mean, not even picking up a set off of either one of them. So um, and it was good, I think, to get that momentum back against Miami. But now you just got to, you know, full stop. So um, I don't know. I, th- I think this will be tough. And if I, I know they've got a lot of seniors. Um, I think a few okay. of them are graduating in the fall. So, I mean, I don't know how they might shift around their eligibility because they'll be doing a lot more in the spring. But, you know, this has got to be a recruiting nightmare of all nightmares <laughs> is what I would I think. agree. You know, so, um, I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll get to see a little bit more uh, exciting volleyball play. I know they've definitely been one of the better, uh, one of the better teams um, uh, in a kind of topsy-turvy athletic situation the past few years. So uh, it's just a real disappointment. And hopefully right. I really feel for, for the athletes on this team and, and pretty much all NCAA athletes at this moment. This uh, situation is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I know especially the Florida State women's team is really going through it. But I know and I have full confidence in their athletic ability, what I've seen from the past few seasons, especially last year, that they can turn it around. Another important point this year is that one of the team's best players, Taryn Knuth, she, she's a senior and she's definitely a leader. And she was injured. So um, her being out uh, forced a lot of other players on the team who haven't had as much experience or leadership abilities to step up and do well. And I think that's kind of contributed to the difficulty of this season. But kind of extending on a positive note, sophomore uh, Emma Clothier, she has done amazing this season. She took over a lot of slack from Taryn missing out on the injury. And she currently leads the team in kills with four, or 41, and as well as kill percentage, 0.507. Oh, wow. So she, she's only a sophomore, so that's really great news going into the future for the Seminoles. And as we've seen in the past, uh, star Jasmine Martin, she's also a senior. She's right behind Emma with 40 kills. And so I'd say a, a good point going forward is that those two are picking up a lot of slack and, and performing really well. So that's good to know. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, I think just having people that, you know, you can depend on because I think, you know, Florida state, state volleyball might be staring in the future. They might be kind of having a youth movement, whether or not they want to, um, you know, I, I think that having people that you can at least, look at instead of just starting with a clean slate and seeing, well, we'll just kind of, you know, pick it up from here. Um, that's great. So I'm trying to think, um, are there any other closing thoughts that you got? Jake? You're good. No worries. Or, uh, excuse me. Me, Jake, my bad. <laughs> my roommate Jacob is next door to me and he's, he's just making some noise right now. So I, oh, you're fine. It goes both ways. It's close it. enough. I'll take it. But yeah, I, it's been great talking with you today. I think we touched on a lot of great points and, I'm excited to see how the Knolls perform against Louisville on Saturday. Oh, yeah. No, I think that'll be uh, all eyes will be on that. So, um, again, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. This has been another episode of uh, uh, Talk and Chop. You can find my work and Jake's work in the FSU and Florida Flambeau, which is uh, on campus on Mondays and online uh, Mondays and every other day of the week. And then you can also find uh, Jake <laughs> some cold takes. I, I mean, some hot takes uh, with V89. Are you yes, on, I am periodically. Uh, Tomahawk talk. All righty. So, all thanks, right. Logan. Well, thanks again, Jake, for coming on. And it's been a pleasure to have you. We'll see how all right, take care. Florida State this weekend.